Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is communion questions. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so this comes up this week because of a reading that is going to happen in the service. So let's start with what that reading is. Sure. So our gospel lesson for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and it follows along with a lot of the readings in this part of our lectionary, which delve into this whole section where Jesus talks a lot about being bread and being the bread of life. And in this particular section, Jesus starts saying things that, frankly, if someone were to say in day-to-day life, would get a lot of really weird side-eye. Okay. So, for example, in verse 53, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Growing up Catholic, I remember passages like this, and then you get all this weird stuff that goes along with it. Like, that's where the vampire myth comes from, and all these weird cannibalism issues. So where were they actually going with this? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And I have to say that for the early church, before it was legal to be Christian, one of the major charges that would be levered against them is cannibalism. Yeah. Because of exactly this kind of language, this kind of conversation about we eat the body of Jesus and we drink his blood. It is a visceral reaction within us as human beings to find this language challenging and disturbing and weird and strange. Yeah, because you're not supposed to do these things. Right. right? And the Gospel of John just like cranks it up to 11, right? Mm -hmm. It's one thing to hear in the other Gospels to have Jesus be like, this is my body that's given for you. Eat this and remember me. Or this is my blood that has been shed for you in the new covenant. Drink this and remember me as he lifts up bread and wine in that middle of that last meal. But in the gospel of John, the gospel writer really digs into this whole, I am the bread of life and God feeds you in a visceral and real way. And we do this through what I am giving you in myself. Who is he talking to in this passage? In this passage, he's talking to his disciples. Okay. And they're not like, um, excuse me. Well, of course they are. A few questions. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I would be. Yeah. I would be a little freaked out if I were there. I think having to preach on this, I'm a little freaked out. Yeah. It's weird. It's super weird language for our ears to hear and to reconcile and to try to find a way to understand. And it begets so much confusion across Christendom about what is communion and what is this sacrament? What is this thing that we partake in week after week as we receive these gifts of bread and wine or grape juice? 
what is it that is happening in this? And so the theologies and the practices around communion shift dramatically from denomination to denomination. By denomination to denomination, you're talking Lutherans, Catholics, Episcopalian, whoever. Yep, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then even down into other Christian churches, non-denominational Christian churches that maybe look at it completely differently. You know, Catholics and Episcopalians and Lutherans and Presbyterians, we kind of all sort of get there. There's nuance to how we view this, Mm -hmm. but we still practice receiving communion on the regular basis. Some denominations don't do that at all. No communion. Maybe once a year. Oh, wow. Or receiving it as like not a central part of the worship service, but as just something that happens every now and then. Sometimes the foot washing is more sacred within those traditions than communion is. Interesting. Okay, so getting back to the Catholics, they are all in, Mm -hmm. and it's some fancy word called transubstantiation, correct? Correct. Absolutely. So transubstantiation, what this theological word means, this fancy word, is that through the act of blessing the bread and the wine that the priest does during the mass, the bread and the wine that are on the table, the elements that are present and blessed, the Holy Spirit arrives and changes intrinsically those items to literally become the body and blood of Jesus. I think this was actually my A number one issue when I was growing up Catholic. (laughs) Very first thing where I was like, hmm. Hold on now. <laughs> I'm not so sure about this. Fair. As a kid, I would probably have yes. been very yep, skeptical as well. And this is why the sacrament in the Catholic Church is treated with such an enormous amount of respect. Yes, absolutely. And Episcopalians are kind of one step down from that, right? So there, there are practices then on how you dispose of what is left after it has been blessed or how you store what has been blessed Mm -hmm. or how these things are treated, trusting and understanding that if you believe in transubstantiation, that this is the true presence of God in the world in that moment. So when people talk about being barred from receiving the sacrament in the Catholic church, it's truly because they don't want you receiving something that you don't understand what it is believed to be. Which is fascinating to me because they never really are interested in helping you learn what that understanding is either. It probably depends upon the priest. It does. (laughs) It does. But there's not a lot of questions they like to hear, at least that I remember trying to ask. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay, so that's the Catholics, right? Right. And the Episcopalians, Church of England, kind Mm -hmm. of take something called consubstantiation, is the next version of this word, which means that there is, in that moment of blessing, there is the presence of God truly changing the items that are there, but that they are still bread and wine. They are not literally body and blood. They are still bread and wine, but that there is kind of concurrently this intrinsic change within the elements that occurs. And so, like Catholics, Episcopalians will finish the entire chalice of wine. Mm -hmm. 
and drink the entire thing or the food needs to be eaten. The bread needs to be eaten within a certain number of hours of the service after it's been blessed because it holds that sacredness within it in that consubstantiation. Okay. Lutherans, however, have a slightly different take on this, correct? It's similar to, it's closer to Church of England, but we have this fabulous way of saying things and not saying anything all at once. (laughs) Sure. We believe that in communion, Christ is truly present. We believe in the real presence. We believe that Christ is truly present in, with, under, and through the bread. That is such a delightful talking around the subject. Totally. Isn't it lovely? So we believe in God being fully present in the meal, but not that the bread and the wine have any elemental change in them. Yeah, is this coming from Martin Luther himself? Yes. In how he was translating stuff? Yes. So does this mean that there's potentially some sort of a translation issue and that's how they got to it is versus in with and under? I don't know if it's a translation specifically issue or if it's just the theological spectrum from where Martin got himself to. But as Martin and the writers of the Book of Concord created their documents about what these things are and why we do these things and redefining the sacraments, right? Because Martin took the seven sacraments and redefined them Mm -hmm. down to two. Mm -hmm. And as he was doing this work, part of what he was finding his way towards was to say, this is a truly holy thing that we do. Jesus told us to do this. We have the words of Jesus to tell us to eat this bread and drink this cup and to remember him. And we have elements that we can touch and taste. We have bread and wine, or for some of us, grape juice. We have these things that are tangible in our world elements. And that is for Martin what made a sacrament. And so it is a truly holy thing. It is a means of grace. It is a way of experiencing God in our lives. But we don't necessarily ascribe to the understanding that in the moment of the words of institution, that these items intrinsically change into something else. And that's the difference between transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and real presence. They are still bread and wine. And God is truly present in, with, and under these things and can use them to work miracles in our life. And so that's how we hold this sacrament. We hold it in such high regard and we hold it carefully because it is such a mysterious thing and something that we don't really understand, but that we recognize as holy. So all that being said, when he's talking about this bread is my body and all that, Mm -hmm. does he ever get into who is able to give communion to other people? Or is that something that has come through the churches themselves through practices over the centuries? That is total church hierarchy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nowhere is it stated only so-and-so can do this for so-and-so. Mm-mm. And the same for the, our other sacrament in the Lutheran church is baptism, mm-hmm. because again, Jesus tells us to do it. And there's an earthly element, water that we can touch. And Jesus just says, baptize all nations. 
He doesn't say those of you who study enough or know enough can pass an exam, have the right clothing. <laughs> sure. Right. He just have says a pretty that, cup and a nice plate. Right. Right. And, you know, Jesus doesn't set those rules. Those rules have absolutely been set by tradition and history in the years to come. And much of kind of the rules and regulations would have, of course, come after the legalization of the church. Sure. And centuries of tradition. Sure. That makes sense. So in this time of the pandemic and online services, Mm -hmm. how does this particular passage get talked about and kicked around in terms of what's allowed, what's not allowed, what people are doing and what people aren't doing? Yeah, it's such a difficult and mixed conversation because it's one hard to talk about, period. It's just a challenge to talk about communion because it's hard to explain and it's hard to find the right words. And so I think what ends up happening is we we try to have the conversations and we get fumbly and bumbly and then we don't really understand why it would be a problem to have something happen one way but not another way. But one of the arguments against having online communion, against having communion offered when you only have an online service is an idea that you could watch that service again. There could be a recording Uh of someone who has the training and the credentialing to be presiding over communion. And you could watch that recording again later and consider the elements that you are holding blessed and receive communion at a time when you have not gathered with community, when you have not made a connection with that embodied practice of faith. And there's something important to receiving communion within community. I don't sit here by myself just because I got the magic hands and like bless everything that I eat and drink and I get communion every single minute of every single day because I have the magic hands, right? Mm Mm-hmm. If I'm not in community with people, then it's not the same thing. And I think one of the concerns is for people to allow themselves to be farther and farther away from fellowship because they can watch it in a recording and receive communion in that way. I don't ascribe to that. I think that even if, and this could put me on the outs with the church, Mm -hmm. like this is completely... I'm speaking kind of something that is not in keeping with ELCA doctrine. So I'll put that out there, that this is not in keeping with ELCA doctrine Mm -hmm. right now. That I think that the Holy Spirit is bigger than any of us. And I think that the means of grace, communion and baptism, are something that are so desperately needed in this world. That if someone stumbles across a recorded service and watches it back in a week and they find grace and peace and hope in it, even if they never reach out to us, if they are able to receive the sacrament and to receive a sign of hope and receive a sign of grace and receive strength from that, that is 100% on the Holy Spirit. And I will not stand in the way of that by saying no, that I won't preside. It was hard for me, honestly, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really hard for me to begin to preside over communion online. Really? Yeah. 
it was very uncomfortable. It seems to me, knowing the background of Martin Luther and the whole through grace alone, he mm. would nail this as adiaphora in terms of it's just another way, right? It's another tool. It's taking technology and moving things forward. Maybe. 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 I don't know. I'd like to think that he'd come up with another <laughs> drinking song for us all to do along with the Mighty Fortress. We could do a sea shanty. Sure. An online sea shanty for... <laughs> it's possible. I don't know. I truly don't know. But I do know that there are people who have tuned into our Facebook live stream five years ago mm -hmm. who were homebound and sacrament starved and who received a sign of grace. And so I just lean into that promise and hope that if I'm wrong, that I have erred on the side of grace and that's okay. Okay. That's going to lead me to my last question. I'm kind of curious with this particular passage mm -hmm. in this particular gospel, what do the other gospels say about communion? Do they contradict this? I am the bread and I am whatever, and you should drink me and it's me, <laughs> me, me, bread, bread, bread. <laughs> It is vastly different. The Gospel of John really leans into these I am statements. I think we may have done mm -hmm. a podcast on that a while back, but the other Gospels tell the story of the last night when Jesus was betrayed. So basically the words of institution are in the other three Gospels, whereas in the Gospel of John, the words of institution aren't there at all. The final meal doesn't look the same at all in the Gospel of John. And that's where we get the washing of the feet okay. is in the gospel of John. So in place of the words of institution, in place of that meal, you get the washing of the feet. And so John has this whole bread of life section that in some ways kind of replaces that communion part. Keeping in mind, the gospel of John was written several decades after the synoptic gospels. Okay. So it had been well covered by the other three gospels by the time John was written. And so John has some creative license. So he took it in a more flowery language realm. You know, I've joked many times about John being like the Beatles mm -hmm. version of the gospel. And so sit back, have a beverage, relax into the story and let the gospel of John take you on a ride is kind of how it goes. And sometimes the ride gets a little weird. Okay. So now I have a last question for my last question. Uh -huh. Do you like this version, this John versus the other gospels better? No, I prefer the other gospels. <laughs> this one's really hard. Okay. <laughs> Even specifically relating to the communion or especially relating to communion. I think maybe especially relating to communion, it's really hard to translate this to our modern ears in a way that doesn't just sound off-putting. Do you get questions from like confirmands about this particular passage or is it just not come up? Maybe not this particular passage, but the ideas that this kind of passage and this kind of language that brings up. I get questions about this from non-Christians, from people outside of the church, from people who are kind of fed up and injured by the church. Mm -hmm. And then they'll throw things like, you know, well, if you really think you're eating and drinking somebody's, right? Like, sure. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. 
then you really do have to lean into the in with and under. Thank you, Martin Luther. Yep. (laughs) Which for folks who are angry is not a sufficient explanation. Oh, man. That would be a very hard conversation to have. And that's okay. It's worth having. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about questions surrounding communion. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening into these ruminations and ponderings. If it has been some time since you have received communion and you would like to do so, feel free to join us for our online services at 1015 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find us live streaming via Facebook. You can contact us at podcast at centralportland.org, and we might be able to connect you to a Zoom service. And perhaps someday soon, you can join us back on site. Until that day, remember, God loves you no matter what.